was the first to stand up for you, the first to take your side. I was the first to sing your praises all the time. Hello, everyone, in the heart of Uptown, downtown Albany, in the heart of the Nipty Radio Recording Studios. Welcome to this week's edition of Something New, our audio video practice tip. And today we're going to be discussing something of significance, maybe very significant to all of you in the next few weeks, and that is the conducting of preliminary hearings. As you well know, the latest executive order is fast coming to an end, and the governor is going to be in a position, and by the time you hear this, you may very well already know what he's decided, but the governor is going to be in a position to determine how many of the suspensions of things such as 18080, the CPL, so forth, are going to continue and how many are no longer going to be suspended. It's reasonable to presume, if you take a look at the physical makeup of a grand jury, that is something the governor may not be so quick to reinstitute and have it start up as one of the first things to do coming back from all the suspensions. However, with 18080 having been suspended for a significant period of time, the defense bar has been very aggressive with the governor, and he may feel very uncomfortable continuing to suspend the defendant's rights under 18080. So we may very well be in a position where prosecutors, in order to maintain bail conditions on the defendant, are going to have to conduct a preliminary hearing. Now, for some of you, this is not anything new, and you're familiar with the process, but for a lot of other places, it isn't something new. It's something that isn't done very often. So for all of you, here's a quick review of what it is and what you need to be sure you do in order to have a successful preliminary hearing. The preliminary hearing is basically an alternative to directly presenting the case to the grand jury. And if done so properly, the defendant may be held for an additional 45 days during which you have the time to present the case to the grand jury and secure an indictment. Well, not right now. You can't present it to the grand jury to secure an indictment. And this raises another question, which we're not going to address today. What happens if you get your 45 days and 45 days from that hearing, the grand jury is still closed down? Well, we'll have some other discussions and presentations on that down the road, but hopefully we won't have to deal with that issue and things will be reopened by then. If you meet your burden and you have those 45 days, everything will be fine. But if you don't meet your burden, what happens then? Well, that's a teaser for the end of the lecture. Think about that question. What happens? Now, the statute directs that these hearings should be conducted in one session and really in one sitting. Most of the time, these hearings are going to be one witness. Sometimes you'll call two witnesses, but in most situations, it requires one witness because you are not required to litigate the case. You are not on trial here. And the defense will take every opportunity it can to get as much information to cross-examine your witness well beyond the scope of what's required here. And that's what you must be on guard for the whole time you're conducting the hearing is not allow it to be a discovery proceeding for the defense. And of course, the defense attorney worth their salt is going to attempt to get as much information as possible from your witness. Now, what are the defendant's rights? Let's start with that. Obviously, the defendant has the right to be present. 
But more importantly, perhaps, is the defendant has the right not to be present. And you cannot force the defendant to be present. Unlike at a trial, where you may force a defendant into court, even if he or she does not wish to be there for the purpose of an in-court identification before the jury, people v. Winship, can't do that at a preliminary hearing. And defense attorneys sometimes will take advantage of that and not have their client viewed by your witness at the hearing. Now, obviously, defendant has the right to counsel, and the statute requires that the complaint actually be read, but that can be waived by the defense attorney. Defense attorney, of course, has a right to cross-examine your witnesses. The defendant may testify. That is his or her right. And it is your right to cross-examine him or her. So you will find that it's very seldom that a defense attorney is going to have his or her client testify. It is not the norm. They don't want to give you the discovery proceeding, and they certainly don't want their client to be committed any particular set of facts about the incident. Now, the defense may call witnesses if he or she wishes to. And again, it's something that would be probably beneficial to the people in the long run, but it's up to the court. And the court can preclude the defense from calling any witnesses. Now, what about the new rules of discovery? How do they impact what you are required to do at a preliminary hearing? Well, there are no rules in the old or new discovery that specifically address a people's requirement to deliver discovery to the defense before such a hearing. Under the old rules, Rosario material was required only at the request of the defense. However, under the new statute of discovery, if the hearing takes place after the first 15 days, discovery, including Rosario material, will be supplied pursuant to 245.10. Now, if the hearing takes place before the 15 days, presumably before CPL 188 time has elapsed, the people are still required pursuant to the new laws to supply discovery as soon as practical. Again, not giving a specific time, but as soon as practical. This will require various material within the people's control in their possession to be given to the defense before the hearing. And this, of course, may very well lead to some back and forth arguments between the parties as to what is appropriate to be turned over and what isn't. Now, what are the rules of a hearing? It is the people's burden to establish there is a reasonable cause to believe the defendant committed the crime. That is your burden. That is what you must prove to the court in order for the defendant to be held for the action of the grand jury. Testimony must be given by sworn witnesses to meet that burden. Now, the rules of evidence that apply at the hearing, as we said, are similar to those that you will find in the grand jury. The key, probably most significant issue that you have to be clear about is this is not like a suppression hearing where hearsay is permissible. At a preliminary hearing, to meet your burden, hearsay is not permissible. It's not permissible anyway, whether to meet your burden or not. The only exceptions are those listed in the grand jury section 19030 subdivisions 2 and 3 and also take a look at 18060 subdivision 8 evidence that is subsequently suppressed or is not permitted at trial is admissible for purposes of determining if the people have met their burden so there is no retroactive canceling of the results from the preliminary hearing if the defendant ultimately winds up successful at a suppression hearing 
there is a conflict of authority about the use of a confession by the defendant as being sufficient evidence in and of itself to establish whether you have met your burden. Now, there are a number of cases we'll supply you with some, but I suggest to you that when you're going to conduct a preliminary hearing and if you are left with the need to use only a confession for some reason, you be sure that in your jurisdiction within your court, if possible, you know whether or not that is going to satisfy your judge. If the court finds reasonable cause to believe that a felony has been committed by the defendant and she is held for the action of the grand jury, as a result of that, you have 45 days in which to present the case to the grand jury. Now, if the court finds you have not met your burden of proof, what happens then? Here's the answer to that teaser. The court will dismiss the complaint and the defendant is released from custody. However, this is not a jeopardy situation. You have the right to go to the grand jury and present the case and the defendant can be indicted. Except. We don't have grand juries for you to go to right now. So at this point in time, it is even more significant that if you're in a position to conduct a preliminary hearing, that you be sure you present sufficient enough evidence that the court is going to be satisfied that you have presented enough evidence. If the court finds that you've only made out a misdemeanor, it can reduce the charges to misdemeanor level and the case will be sent to the local court. Or you can make a motion to the court, even though you technically make it out, that the court dismiss the felonies and send the case to the local court. Now, if the defense is given a full and complete opportunity to cross-examine a particular witness that you call at a preliminary hearing, the possibility exists that if that witness isn't available at the time of trial, you can use that record as previous testimony, which the defense had a full, complete opportunity to cross-examine. Now, again, that's not likely to happen in most cases if you're calling a civilian witness to testify, if it's the victim and you're going through just the event itself. But it may be a lesser significant witness you call, perhaps an officer or someone of that ilk that presents very little evidence, so there is a complete cross-examination of them. Something to consider if you have a witness that you feel might not be available come the time of trial. Keep in mind that you are not required to present the kind of evidence you need at a trial, and you should stick to the basic elements, the evidence that shows the elements of the crime, and don't be bashful about objecting to the defense going beyond the scope of what this hearing is all about. And seldom, if ever, should the court allow the defense to get into any kind of an extended cross-examination of peripheral matters or the witness's background or the witness's issues that they've had in the past, whether it's their criminal record or not, the court is going to allow, again, different courts have different approaches, but by and large, a good court will preclude the defense from going beyond the scope of what's required if you make the proper objections. So I hope this has been helpful to you. And please, if you have any questions, issues, let us know. Any topics or issues you'd like us to cover, please let us know and we'll be sure to do it.
I'd like to thank our crack team, Sean Smith, who is the crack team behind this presentation today. So Sean, you're the best. Thank you so much. And to everyone out there, please be well and stay ready. We'll see you soon. Once the music ends.